Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there. The Rewatchingtons, bomb in its full Ooh. and unadulterated cut, early drops of Cinephobe episodes, and so much more. You said the OG pod. Now, is it new or is it old? Mace, I'm glad you asked that. It is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old OG pod. Oh. So it's me, Zach, Trey, Waz, Tom. I love those guys. Just like we always were. Going back to the True Hoop days, mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic, recapturing it, and putting it back out. We're talking hoops. We're talking pop culture. And most importantly, we're talking for 40 minutes for free. Mm-hmm. But then another specific Patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes. Funny enough about that OG pod, you're getting Tom and Trey on Mondays. You're getting me and Waz, aka Zosny, on Wednesdays. Amin's floating in between. I'm a floater. You never know when you're going to get Amin in those, so you got to listen to them all. And what if I'm not sure what Maze looks like? Because I've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora. He's got a weird voice. How can I see for myself what this Maze character actually looks like? It's crazy you don't know the answer to this. Hmm. because it's the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. What? The CT5s on the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. You can look at all of us. You can get all the OG pods on YouTube too at CountTheDings1 on YouTube, at Cinephobe Pod on YouTube, patreon.com slash CountTheDings gets you everything all in one feed. You can link it to your Spotify. And now enjoy the show. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Kevin Arnovitz. I'm Tom Haverstrow. And we have a finale. We have finalized season 15 of Top Chef. 
Uh, it was, uh, uh, it was, it was, a, it was a pretty competitive tete-a-tete, Tom. Like, I legitimately went into judges' table not knowing if we would have Joe Flam or Adrian Cheatham, the two finalists, the two improbable finalists, if you believe anything about our season uh, beginning handicapping draft process, which I no longer have any faith in. And uh, any surprises? You know, the surprise here is... Um... There were no hiccups. Usually you might get a little bit of hiccup here and there in the in the season finale. Just the tensions are tight. The, everyone's just nervous. And I thought Adrian, when they were picking the knives in the beginning, I thought she was going to throw up. It just was, it, they just looked so nervous. Um, and it didn't show it at all in their dishes. I mean, how many, every time the dish came out, I said, that's my favorite dish of the episode. No, wait, that's, I want to eat that dish. And every single time they brought one out, I just got more and more uh, drooling there on my couch. So uh, this was an excellent finale, and uh, I thought it was two worthy winners here. Yeah, you know, it's funny. So it's been an interesting season. I mean, first of all, just the sheer camaraderie. Like, this was truly the first no-asshole season of Top Chef in the sense that it was just... I mean, it, it was almost, there was almost too much mirth and love. I know. If you were, if you, this does not fit on the Bravo programming schedule, like this, this, how, how nice everyone played. They were teammates. They were hugging. They were crying. They were blowing kisses at each other. It was, um, the right. camaraderie on this episode, this season was, uh, as far as I can remember, uh, higher than it's ever been. Well, because like my general experience is, and I don't watch a lot of television in general, but when I'm watching commercials for Bravo shows, like they're is like there are a lot of people slapping each other and yelling at each other and then all of a sudden we come here and it's like hey if i don't win then she will isn't this great and there's a part of me it's like i'd kind of like you guys at least temporarily if only for the sake of competition to kind of want to rip your each other's eyes out for like 45 minutes or so i mean you know. yeah fati goes if the if there's a competition of who loves joe flam more i win you know, like you don't see that on the rest of the programming on uh, on Bravo. It was it was all lovey dovey. It was great. Um, you know, if you tuned in this season to get a lot of drama, uh, you might have checked out. Uh, but if you tuned in this season to get great cooking and inventive chefs, uh, you loved it. Right. And and so I, I've always enjoyed the finale in the sense that as much as I appreciate the limitations that are put on chefs and various challenges and you need to cook upside down or or we're going to release a live predator into the kitchen and you have to do this in 30 minutes. Like I, I do enjoy the chef being able to really just map things out. It was kind of cool to see Adrian with her notebook. Like clearly if you show up for a top chef competition, you do in the back of your mind say, Hey, if I am fortunate enough to get to a finale, what am I going to do? Clearly they'd given it some thought. Uh, it, it sort of continued Adrian's arc from, you know, a, a chef who was maybe a little derivative in the season of her mentors and not really seasoning and it, it, coming into her own and, she starts out with what might be one of the great, like, 10 best chef, uh, dishes in, in Top Chef history. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, the whole the whole thing about she had to figure out how to do a twill. Have you ever heard of a twill before? I have seen a twill. Like, those little, now I know what those little doily-looking things are that when yes. you go to a fancy restaurant. Um, you but know, if I said, hey, Kevin, here's 15 dishes on a menu, pick out the one, the picture with the, the with the twill on it. I, in fact, I had to kind of look up the spelling of twill. It is T U I L E. Um, so so who knew? On my and, document here, it's T W E E L. Yeah. So uh, she goes with a spoon bread with uni, which is my 
single favorite food. Buttermilk dashi. And can I? Can we just talk about Adrian and her dashis for a second? Because <laughs> I, I love dashi. I, I it is a it is a kind of the the one of the standard Japanese broths, generally made of kelp and like bonita flakes. Say kind of the like the not bonita flakes, the bonita like a little bit of fish stock. It is that clear, lovely, clean Japanese broth that you will get when you go to kind of a higher end. Uh, or not even higher, like a middle end Japanese restaurant, you know, with, with, with the pretty plate and the and the liquid is just beautifully filtered. And she has been doing variations of dashi for the last several weeks that that are that are just that accentuate these dishes. She did a buttermilk dashi last night. Gets the ham, the caviar. You got the wheat tweel, which is broken into. I mean, it is the most gorgeous dish, and um and wins basically. What what does Padma say? Well, I, I just want to point out that Eric Repair is the one who coached her through that dish. When you get on the phone and oh, the, right, the chef right. isn't even there to see w- how you've prepared it and he's already pinpointed your error, that is that is talent. So she gets on the phone with Eric Repair and he's like, hey, did you whisk it in the pan? And she's like, no, I forgot. You're right. Yeah, and then boom. And, and, and it is, I think Padma says that like, this needs to go on a dish, uh, a menu immediately and never to – uh, and, and meanwhile, you know, Flam d- does a lovely, lovely dish. I mean, he does um, what what he does is play on vitello tonnato, which is actually kind of a gross Italian of, of all the great Italian cooking. Like vitello tonnato is like sliced veal, like coated with a creamy mayonnaise, like tuna salad. <laughs> like it's it's actually disgusting. So he kind of flips it on its head and says, "Let's do like the raw tuna, like a, like a nice little block of." of maguro with a veal aioli and, and smoked wagyu powder and, and some capers, which is brilliant. Um, but in, in some ways it shows how difficult the, the finale is because like, this is a gorgeous dish. I mean, you and I would devour his tono vitilato, but like, it's the difference between these high end diners. Like I, I, we're at the point in modern cookie where, where you, me, the average diner in a certain kind of restaurant has had a silly, a zillion variations of, what uh, Flam put on the plate, right? Like it is, it was a beautiful plate, but we, we have raw tuna. I mean, rarely can you go to a restaurant and not find a good raw tuna. Yeah. It, it, something raw tuna-ish in, in the appetizer, small plate section. Whereas no one had seen anything remotely like what Adrian did. I mean, I, I was kind of like, uh, do I really want a tuna, a, a, a tuna crudo with like veal um, oh, I fat do. on there? And I was like, you know, I, that works. I would, I, I think that would be delicious. And then the presentation was beautiful. The, he didn't overplay it with a dressing on the sal and the greens. It was, it was a delightful dish. It was like the Houston Rockets this year, where it's great, but over on the other side is the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, and it's just like no one had seen anything like that—a spoon bread with uni and ham. By the way, uni and ham, like like two great tastes that taste great together. Uni and ham. Like who would have thunk it? A buttermilk dashi, just nothing. We have seen nothing like that before. And, and with that, the negligee disc on top, yes. Right. And so this is how you lose kind of an event, basically turning out just gorgeous food the way Joe Flam did. It is merely because there's actually a degree of familiarity with it, whereas the person on the other side is doing something completely otherworldly, like just a, a dish invented, um, you know, by magic. Uh, so we move on to the second dish, and she comes, and it's it's it, there's a kind of an interesting uh, parallel there. She does a gorgeous dish that we've you know a blackened octopus, which has become again 
kind of a you know a staple on 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 the appetizer sections of a certain kind of menu, and it looks gorgeous. But she does it brilliantly, and as a Southern food aficionado, Tom, you can appreciate kind of a it, it, instead of shrimp in grits, you do like a blackened octopus with squidding grits. Mm. And I mean, give it to brilliant. me, yeah. Give it to me, and I'm and she mentioned it. Either Adrian mentioned it or Carrie mentioned it, but like, why? No, it was it was Adrian when she said, "Why don't we see squid ink risotto or squid ink grits? Like we see a lot of the squid ink pasta, but let's let's see more squid ink grits." And I think Tom said it right there. Is like, if you want to do uh, elevated Southern cooking, this is the dish. Like if you want to do a twist on Southern cooking at your restaurant that you're trying to start up, this is it. Tom, I am now tempted. I'll say the one thing I came away with as as a home cook is I need to figure out how to get hold of some squid ink or how one acquires squid ink because I, I, I would like to – you had my grits recently. Now imagine something like that, a little less cheesy but a little more squid inky. I mm, can do yeah. that. Can I do this at home? This would be mm-hmm. – well, you have to go out in the ocean and first kill an octopus and then go find a squid. I think that's how you right. procure squid ink. Um, indeed. So uh, it, but yet, as brilliant as that is, Flam rips out the most gorgeous looking pasta, a color of which I've never oh, seen outside of nature. God. That was so beautiful. Uh, the Those were the river rocks, yes. Um, those. It was such which an amazing evokes dish. Colorado. There's a braising broth he uses. Um, you know, there's pig head, apple, black truffle, these little rolled uh, tortellinis. We will talk to Joe Flam shortly and want to hear because that was sort of that was like that was the dish, right? Like that was of the four. That was his calling card. Last that was night. the gem. He is that an Italian it. chef doing elevated, technically based Italian food. And that was his masterpiece. I mean, that you, you could argue that this is the dish that wins him the show. So we will talk to him about his tortellino and uh, brado. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to do that. They both go very similar on the third dish. They both go with a meat, they a, a, a beef, and a bone marrow. Mm-hmm. And I'm always I'm always one for the rich bone marrow, uh, whatever it is. I'll scoop that up like it's ice cream. Um, you know, I'm gonna say something here. You might not like it. I'm not a fan of cheer wine. Neither am I. No, I'm with you, man. Any uh, cherry flavored thing evokes cough syrup yes, to me or because of a childhood. Drops. Yes. Lose and when I was sick, I would always have to chug down, take down this cough syrup that has forever stained me any sort of cherry flavored anything. It, it makes me gag. So cheer wine, I know it's such a staple of North Carolina, um, the Carolina Beverage Company here in Salisbury. Like, yes, I feel like this is treason, treasonous to not like cheer wine, but it just I'm sorry. I'm out on cherry. Yeah, no, but I, and but uh, she, by all accounts, I mean that, that that's there was no specific uh, issue with. Although both both chefs got a little bit of a ding um, for their for their dishes. She did a cherry wine braised short rib with black eyed peas and a ham hock, so a very kind of traditional Southern uh, mm-hmm. flavor profile. A cheer wine bone marrow bordelaise. Uh, Nancy Silverton, one of my favorite chefs, Los Angeles's Aunt Nancy Silverton. Uh, the brains behind Campanile back in the day has the kind of mozza complex at Highland and Melrose. Uh, at some point, Tom, we should go to either Pizzeria Mozza or Osteria Mozza when you come out. Um, she's Faka, one of her other places there. Um, you know, it says it ate a teeny bit dry, uh, though Though, though, Tom was a huge fan of the dish. And Joe Flam on the other side goes, kind of gives, 
gives a ribeye some dry heat and goes with his roasted asparagus and and smoked bone marrow sauce. He's been very into asparagus. We might remember that he won the the river challenge a couple of weeks ago with a pan seared trout with you know uh, with the uh, fennel mushroom and asparagus and the and the black garlic beurre blanc. So he's he's been doing the mushroom asparagus kind of combo a lot. And um, Tom complained that the meat was overrested. And this is the tough thing about being a watcher of the show. Like, you can't actually get in there and taste the meat. So it, it's hard to say. They both looked gorgeous. Uh, but uh, both got a little ding. I, I think this was sort of a up, uh, sort of an undecided pick em third course. Yeah, I think if you're going to go with someone, maybe it's, it's Adrian on the third course. I, I'm scoring it right now. Uh, Adrian gets the win on the first dish. And then Joe Flam gets the win on the second dish. Uh, I think Adrian takes this one. Um, and it's not just because of the cheer wine flavored short rib. Uh, I just think in, in, um, Oh no, sorry. It's not that I'm giving her extra points for the cheer wine because I know it's a, it's a great Southern favorite, but I think ultimately at this point, Joe flam, if you're going to, if you're going to do that ribeye and not kind of add any sort of different twist to it, you got to make sure you cook that ribeye perfectly. And it seems like it was a little dry now. Um, to your point about Joe Flam and the asparagus, he isn't just a pasta guy. He is an amazing vegetable mm-hmm. uh, chef um, working with vegetables. As you remember, in the last episode, he did the Kini Canoe, and it was it was it was masterful. So I think uh, Joe Flam, for all his talents as a as a pasta chef, really showing here that um, his his use of vegetables is top notch. Yeah, and I do want to go back to Adrian though because if she didn't win the if she did if she was scored for this dish. As the winner, it wasn't enough. It wasn't by enough to to provide her any sort of margin. Yeah. And here's what I'm wondering, and I I mean this is the utmost compliment. A braise. Okay. I mean, hey, braised short ribs have become a staple on menus everywhere. They're delicious. They're succulent. Uh, It's great mountain food. It's great winter food. Um, She is so skilled with technique. She has been nailing her proteins beautifully. I mean, she has... I don't know that we've ever had a chef on Top Chef who can most can more reliably cook fish the way it's supposed to be cooked, who can just just beautifully massage proteins. And I just wonder if there was something a little more. And I don't want to. I mean, braises are great, and I I braise all the time. You've had my braised oxtails. I, I I just I wonder if there wasn't a dish that could better show off her technique mm, than a I'm cheer wine braise. And that's the only thing. And and and. You know, if, if she had to do it over again, I mean, you get the you have the entire Whole Foods at your disposal. There are no limitations. Are you going to go with the cheer? Is that the given the brilliance of the food you've cooked? I just I, I wonder if there's not a better thing in her her back pocket. Hey, but, maybe she was brushing up against the salary cap here. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, more camaraderie. She goes over her five hundred dollar allotment. So what happens? Joe Flam throws her a few dollars because he came in under. Like, yeah. like, how nice is that? How noble is that? What a, what a, what a nice collection of human beings. You know, it's one of those elements of the show that they just gloss over a little bit. Is just the the salary cap that they have when they're at the at the Whole Foods. I, I'm wondering if maybe there is a little bit more consternation there. It's just like I go with the short ribs because I'm brushing up against the tax. So at any rate, we get down to the desserts, and I, I mean at this point. I mean, I kind of had it scored one for Adrian, one for Joe, and then kind of a push because I, I couldn't get an indication if if one party had done better on the on, on the meat. And Joe's having trouble throughout the prep process, some chemistry altitude issues with the brown sugar sticky cake. 
in the ripped ricotta, but uh, comes through at the end during prep. It doesn't look like much. It kind of has sort of a brownish looking thing. Meanwhile, Adrian's playing with all kinds of textures and gels, and she's got a, a kind of a take on one of our favorites, like the kind of vanilla, southern vanilla, banana pudding with Nilla mm. wafers. Um, mm. But does a yuzu banana pudding. There's some turmeric in there. It's a gorgeous little, I mean, she's doing all kinds of things on the plate, little droplets and all that cool stuff that you see at, at, uh, at high concept restaurants. Um, and, uh, but apparently looks better than it, than it tastes, um, according to the judges. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a, a, a case of visual Instagram versus taste where it's like, man, Adrian's was the Instagram dish, right? That one's the one that you are sharing. Um, if you had to choose between these two dishes, you're sharing that one, right? But this Joe flam dish, I, I was a little bit underwhelmed by it because if I'm going to get Kate, it looked like a graham cracker. It looked like a graham cracker. It had the thickness of a graham cracker. Obviously, it's just a little bit of flatter cake there. Um, but if I'm going to choose one on a menu, I'm going with Adrian's. Um, and I, it, I guess needed more banana. And Tom did the weird uh, knock, knock, who's there about banana and yuzu. I didn't really understand where you was going there. But um, I, I – it's weird. If you do a raw scoring uh, point for point, I think Adrian wins the most dishes. But you, I think but you, so you have her winning course three. I think I do. I think I do. Because you know, um, again, Nancy Silverton said that the dish, the, the short ribs ate dry. But then again, Tom raved about it. Um, and then they said they had they had flam. Yeah, maybe over resting the was, meat, yeah, flam, but also flam, raved about his asparagus. Yeah, but they said it was incredibly chewy and right. it was hard to – I mean if you're going to get a ribeye, please do not make it hard to cut into no, or, no, no, or no. hard to chew. And I just felt like – I eat that Adrian, shit blue, man. I mean ribeye. I know. I had it the other – I had a filet the other night and uh, my – my in-laws, they like it medium rare and I just said just throw it on the grill, count to five, turn it and then – and then serve it that way. Like I just want a, a blue, just like you said, a blue steak. Do you know what I've been doing with ribeyes lately? Um, my friend Ari Tamor, who had Alma here in Los Angeles and is going to do very cool new things. He got me into like using dry heat in the oven, not unlike Joe Flam. For five minutes, put your ribeye in there. Dry heat it, you know, 375, whatever. Take it huh. out, rest it for five minutes. And then finish it in an iron skillet with like a pat yeah. of butter. And so I, as, I've always been a grill guy because what's better than grilling, right? Especially in Los Angeles, it's easy, you know. I've got, and I got to tell you, I've become a fan of eh, dry heat in the oven, finish on the skillet with the butter. I got to tell you, man, like that is now... Did you get a little char on there? Did, yeah, because you, 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 you get the nice iron skillet. You know, you got to get that that pan fucking yeah. hot. But, yeah. uh, you know, it doesn't have the, the, the sort of the grill taste, but it, I've been kind of like... And it smells. I mean, I got to put the hood on, and you know, the kitchen gets all smoky. But like, it, it's 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 pretty nice. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. So and then so so I had it as a push, uh, and then the dessert. They clearly, I mean, his was yummier, just in a sheer. Mm -hmm. But also, apparently, they were not a fan of the ripped ricotta um, beneath the blueberry thyme sauce, and uh, and in the in the sugar cake itself. So it was one of those where we kind of all went in not knowing what was going to happen. Uh, yeah, I was I, I I thought it could have gone both ways, Kevin. But I think the the river rocks, the way that Gail described it, and the way that Tom described it right after eating it, it was 
the peak of the peaks. No pun intended when they're 11,000 feet up in the air in Aspen, Colorado. I just felt like that dish hit a peak right there. Um, If you're going to have a tiebreaker, I think that was it. I'd love to get uh, the judges on the podium just to kind of do a little press conference. I want to see like, A, how do they score? Is it a one through 10 for each dish? By the way, do you count the 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 third, the kind of the quote main entree? Like, do you is is the dessert worth as much as the main protein? Do you just say, is it like boxing a round one for this one, round two for that one? Like, like how you score could very much govern where you come down, and and, and it is it, 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 obviously every scoring system is arbitrary at its heart. But I just wonder, and again, the waiting system because again, because like if you and I go to a restaurant. Like, I think the main, the, the entree that we spend, you know, $35 on is we would probably assign greater import than the appetizer or, or, or the small plate right. that we spend $14 on, right? Like, I want them to nail that protein. I, yeah, I want my salad to be good. But do you wait? Like, and then dessert to me is kind of, eh, whatever. Dessert is bonus. I'm never going to put someone over because of dessert. I don't care that much. You know what? I think the dish that stayed with them, I think the memorable dish, the one that they're going to think about, hey, remember season finale uh, on season 15? Remember that one? What's the first dish you're going to think about? It's Joe Flam's dish, the tortellini and Bruno. I mean, I think that was going to be the one that um, that pops into their brain first. And granted, that shouldn't be everything. But in the absence of Joe Flam not having a dish that just went totally haywire and didn't have anything um, I think that he he deserved this one. And if you want to argue that in terms of consistency and just solid, uh, high level cooking, you're going to go with Adrian. But I, I'm of the opinion that um, Joe Flam was going to take this because of that second dish. It's interesting, too, because the spoon bread got the same amount of accolades. But I wonder as a starting light. I know. First yeah. course. To your point. A, is there recency bias when you get to the mm-hmm. end of the meal? In other words, do you do you forget about the first dish? Is it that a pasta dish is more substantial? The, the pasta course, it gets more import than nailing essentially what is an appetizer. But by the and way, you also wonder if, if there's more grits on the plate. Do, are we even having this conversation? Uh, you, that's a great point. That's a great point. And uh, I do think that we're suffering from a little bit of recency bias, or at least the judges would be, because if that if that if she ditched um, a dessert, which has happened before, if you ditch a dessert and then go with that, um, the spoon bread at the end, we might be talking about something different, because if they're hitting if they're hitting them with the doily at the end, they might be over. Uh, very quickly, and we can talk about it a little bit with Joe Flam. Uh, I had dinner at, at Cal Mary, our friend uh, Joe Sasto's restaurant on uh on tuesday night and as per usual with me we got the pumpkin wrap uh, uh the, the, the pumpkin analotti, yeah, yeah and then yeah. we ordered it again <laughs> the plate was taken and we said we'll have one more of those thank oh, you very how good much was it? i was also one of the best versions of branzino i've ever had and I, i've been saying that a lot lately i've just like places are just nailing their branzino right now because that 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 would that the wood oven, and then they come and actually kind of finish it at the at, at the table with with acid and, and and some butter. It was uh it was it was a special meal. Like it was fantastic. And he was actually in Chicago with Joe Flam doing a Joe's event. So uh, hmm. momentarily, we will talk to him. Uh, shall we bring on Mr. Flam? We should. 
Welcome to the second half of the show. Kevin, we have a very special guest here. You might know him as the winner of Top Chef Season 15 Colorado. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, Chicago's own Joe Flam. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. You uh, you are down from cloud nine yet. I know you've, you've had to keep this a secret for weeks, months. Maybe um, is it reliving the glory of winning it and seeing top uh, Tom Colicchio and Padma uh, announce that you are this year's top chef? Have you come down from that cloud? No, not at all. I mean, it's a hundred times better because you know when it happens there, it's you know you're not around like anyone. They just sweep you off. Plus, uh, you know we were on top. We were literally on top of a mountain. So they ran us out of there to go in the interview, but on Aspen Mountain at that restaurant, the gondola ride down takes about 35 minutes. So I won. We were in the room for two minutes. They ran me out of there like I was the president getting shot at and threw me in the gondola. And I was like sitting in the gondola, <laughs> just oh, no, me man. and like my handler by myself. And I was just like, so I just won Top Chef. Well, uh, let me ask you a question. So obviously this happened months ago. You basically have to act as if you're in the CIA for like eight months. Is that right? Because, I mean, it's a small world. I mean, you travel in restaurant yeah. circles. I mean, it's very easy. This would be a piece of information that if out really, you know, would screw the network. Uh, and and how do you live? I mean, were you allowed to tell your grandma? Like, were you allowed to tell anybody? No, my grandma didn't. My, my grandma didn't no, she came to the party last night and she saw it. And she was like... What? Oh, I'm so happy. So you yeah, have to carry you have to carry around this entire like huge life achievement, basically just to yourself for eight months. Well, you know, and it's funny, like you know, the the interview be afterwards. Like, how do you feel? It's like it feels really weird, you know, because it's like it's like if you just won the su the Super Bowl or the you know, the NBA Finals, and they're like, well, we're not going to air this for six months, so don't tell. <laughs> you can you can and hold the trophy it, now, but we have to take it back right. from you, and then we'll give it to you when everyone knows that you won in six months. Right, like there's nobody, there's going to be nobody in the stands, and you know we're just going to play this game, and then in six months we'll tell everybody who won. Like it's a really really weird surreal feeling, and you're just like. You know, and then coming back and just having to sit on it, be like, okay. And then especially because I get kicked off. And, you know, I got kicked off and people are coming to the restaurant. They're like, oh, my God. Hey, you know, you did such a good job. You should be so proud of yourself. You know, don't be upset that you went home. You represented yourself really well. And I'm like, guys, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. Like, don't worry. That's so you're the pride of Marist High School. Um, who's the most proud person that you've told besides I'm guessing your grandmother, Tony, your wife? Uh, what who is the most proud person that just like flipped their shit when they heard about this? Uh, you know, my wife was definitely number one. She definitely like lost her mind. But I mean, I get to call it's a very her. diplomatic answer. Okay. Yes. I, as a married man you myself. Know, yes, that's a very yeah, good yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah. As a married man, that's always the answer, right? <laughs> um, Joe, I want to ask you because we have fun drawing the parallels to sports, uh, but it also dawns on me like you're this guy on the south side of Chicago. You're 14 or 15 years old. What is AAU ball or what is what is the like? When did you know you had talent the way, say, obviously a ball player has talent and knows at an early age? Like, what is the training regimen? What is what is teenagehood for you know an aspiring you know top? One hundredth, one thousandth, one millionth of one percent chef like, like what is? How does that happen? But what? Walk me through ages like thirteen to eighteen. 
you know, it wasn't really, you know, ages 13 to 18, it was like, you know, in high school, I was working at, I was working at like bars and restaurants in like the Southwest suburbs that I thought were like, at the time I thought were like, I was like, Oh, these are nice restaurants, you know? Um, and are we talking about like red and white checked Italian or are we talking about like, what what are we talking about? No, no, they weren't that nice. Like it was, it it was this place and I think it's still there. It's on 123rd in Harlem. It's called Joe Daniels Bar and Grill. But it was like, you know, I remember at the time I was like, this is really nice because like, the neighborhood I grew up in, there was nothing that nice. But like this was out in the suburbs, and it was like nice. But it was like, uh, I mean, it would be the equivalent to, I mean, any sports bar. Okay. <laughs> but it's like, in, in the neighborhood, like kind of where I was from, it was like there wasn't really, you know, there were just bars. They didn't serve food. If you wanted food, you wouldn't get food. But if you wanted bars, you wouldn't get bar. You know, it's kind of that cut and dry. Um, but you know, so it was like. I was doing a lot of cooking at home, but it wasn't until, you know, really it was like my 20s. Like, it's kind of weird for, you know, when you're a line cook, that's kind of like your college. That's your, you're getting paid a little bit of money to go to school. And that's when you start kind of cutting your teeth and being like, okay, you know, am I going to be good at this? Can I do this? And you start going along this path. And I think, you know, the first time I ever felt like, Okay, maybe I am. I remember we were. I, I worked for Stephanie Izzard a girl a goat, and she was going on Iron Chef. And uh, so, to decide who got to go on Iron Chef with her as like sous chef, she had a challenge. It's called the Iron Goat Challenge. And um, so, anybody could throw their hat in the ring. And if you won, you got to be your sous chef on Iron Chef. And uh, I won that. And that was the oh. first time I was like, I was like, that was, that was like your quick fire. Yeah, that was the first thing I ever won. You know, it was like they gave us 45 minutes mystery ingredients and we had to cook it. And it was like, you know, they brought in some judges. And, uh, but that was like the first thing I ever won. And I was like, huh, like that's pretty crazy. Uh, and that was like, you know, the first like start of like, okay, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could make a run at kind of, you know, this, this idea of, you know, making, you know, be taking, being a chef or like really being a career. Kevin, I have some breaking news here. Yes. Do you remember the Top Chefs um, uh, lady who came on the show earlier this season? Lynn? Top Chef Stats? Yeah, Top Chef Stats. Yes. I was was just talking about her earlier. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher-turned-podcast producer, and I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. ButcherBox takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com/dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. 
ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. She is the best, and she sent me a message informing me um, Hey guys, I'm still digging into the finale stats, but wanted to ping you about a fact you may already know. So after this season, winning Restaurant Wars is now just as predictive of the Top Chef winner as the first elimination challenge. She has done the analytics, Joe, and you have now nudged it right on the level of winning the first elimination challenge, the the Tyler Anderson. I I just uh, made analytics. You, you, um, one restaurant wars, and that is now as much of a harbinger as winning the whole thing as anything on this show. Was that the first time you realized that maybe I can do this? Uh, yeah, definitely. It's so funny because I go off (laughs) the next morning, basically, but it's, uh, that was like, I was like, Oh my God, like, Hey, you know, I'm getting momentum. Like, here we go. This is, you know, I think it, I can't remember what you guys were talking about. Um, it was, I don't know if it was after that episode, but it was after a different one. You're saying, you know, the momentum isn't real. Um, and, yeah. and it's, you know, yep. it's, and it, and that was and me, it, by the way. So, I'm going to take credit for that one. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but, it, but it's so true, you know, because it was like, I just had a really strong finish. We did the Olympics, had a really strong finish in that one. We crushed it, we swept it. And then into Restaurant Wars, taking it, it was like, I was like, okay, all right. There's eight of us here now. Seven more people to go, like just one restaurant wars. Like, all right, here we go. And then, <laughs> and then just, you know, classic top chef style, just leg sweep. Yeah. Right, let's let's but, talk but, about risotto. But you let's are talk about it. But you are the Frank Thomas of uh of Top Chef. You are an analytic superstar. Uh, that, that is that is. Wow. Uh, by the way, Hershey Ash, my friend, who is the restaurant consultant who you might have heard on this episode. Uh, we, he he did. Yeah. The, uh, I'm yeah. sorry, he did the Restaurant Wars episode with us. He he texted very excited this morning. He's like, "What do I get for calling it?" Uh, because yeah. It, it, yeah. when asked which of these guys is actually a chef, like you know, would you open a restaurant with? He chose you based on your performance in Restaurant Wars, and and um. Hershey's wonderfully debonair, and you know that's just a gentleman that knows hospitality. Was was his commentary? <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was very very flattering. My cousin, uh, uh, my, my my one cousin is a big basketball guy, but he, he lives in Shanghai. I remember he sent me that podcast. He's like, dude, this guy is like fanboying out over you right now. Like, you gotta listen to it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, uh, Joe, there was uh, there was a moment on the last episode here with with Joe where you're mapping out your menu and you said, I'm uh, thinking about a pasta or a risotto. And Joe says, uh, do the pasta. I, I like the idea of a pasta. You were eliminated from the, the, uh, the quick fire doing what the cauliflower, the purple cauliflower risotto. Did yeah. you, did you in your head know about the risotto, uh, the curse of the risotto in, in years past? I didn't know about that till like I got, when I was like, got kicked off and I was doing my exit interview. They were like, Oh, do you know about the Rosetto curse? (laughs) That would have been nice to know going in. Right. Because like watching that, like Joe, it's like literally watching you say last night, or which was eight months ago, 
you know, maybe risotto is basically watching a horror movie where like a kid says, no, let's go back into the house and like <laughs> right. get the dog right. or something. I mean, I'm gonna, just, yeah, I'm going to go into the hey, basement. Hey, hey, is that cool? What's, what's in here? Um, yeah. I did cook a risotto in last chef kitchen that worked out. It did. It did. It did. You're absolutely right about that. That was a validating, right. validating moment for you. Um, you know, the bigger, the, the bigger thing about the risotto dish was it wasn't that it was a risotto dish. It was that I cooked a David Kinch dish for David Kinch. Yeah, I know. And, and it's like, you know, <laughs> you don't dunk on the free throw line on Jordan. It just doesn't happen. Like, you know what I mean? So he was like, yeah, you know, you, like I do this way better than you. It's like, yeah, you're right, chef. I'm sorry. It's like, hey, uh, to prove how good you are at basketball, you're going to play one-on-one against Michael Jordan. Good luck. Right. Right. It's like, hey, Steph, let me show you how to drain this three real quick. I don't like yeah. this. Um, you know, so it's like, <laughs> so it's like, you know, David Kitch is one of those guys where it's like, and it's, you know, and I forgot he had done that dish, that he had that dish. He was like the inventor of this dish, basically, <laughs> of the idea of taking a stock, fortifying it with rice. And then using that to make a risotto with a veg. And Joe Sasso says that to me at the table. And I started laughing because I knew I was going home. And I pictured the dish in my head. I just started laughing. I was like, I'm such a, you know, I'm such an asshole. Like, who does this? <laughs> um, I do want to ask you about your second course for the finale, the tortellini sure. grotto. Uh, I mean, can we, can we like yeah. break it down like we would break down a great basketball possession for a second like i mean i mean conception idea the color the the secret of the braising broth for those of us who are very very amateur i mean can you just component by component like like from the moment it, it popped in your brain yeah so you know the whole the, the idea of this dish was um you know when i uh when i when i first took over spiaggia um, I, one of the first dishes I put on the menu was like this pig's head risotto. And it was kind of an ode to like, you know, where I come from, like working for Stephanie is a reason to pig heads all the time. Um, and it was like one of the things, you know, we'd, so like I would butcher, you know, we, we would butcher 70, 80, 90 pig heads a week there. Um, and it's like one of the best selling dishes at the restaurant. Um, so it was like kind of taking something new and transitioning into something a little bit, you know, doing that kind of live lowbrow, highbrow. So, um, you know, what I did for the Brodo was you know, I peeled the, the face off the skull. And, you know, one of the things about pig's heads is uh, they make really, really great Brodo. They make really great stock. So um, I peeled the face off, cracked the head in half, got on the pressure cooker, built it in, like just cooked it in the water to build like a really porky stock. And then poured that over aromatics like before we left for the night and like let it sit overnight. So it like really, really set up. Um, so it built like, you know, and one of the things like, but typically you do tortellini and bread. It's all about like a really light, clean, delicate broth. Um, but you know, I spent a couple of years cooking kind of Korean, uh, Asian, Japanese flavors. And I was working, uh, running like a little like noodle shop called Urban Belly in Chicago. And so I wanted, I like to make my brothers more of that kind of Japanese style where they're like rich, fatty, smoky tons of spices, herbs, and it's like a really... Like you know, what we find in a ramen. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's very different than you would see classically Italian. Uh, but it's, so it's just like super flavor heavy, but still looks very, very clean. Um, so then it was, you know, we I took that pig, I slow braised it, and then um, braised it for about three hours, so it was tender. And then I grinded it folded it in with some black truffles, apple, fennel, and that was like the filling for the pasta. 
So it's like kind of, again, I've had a low high, you know, going, yeah. pick that, you know, a cheap off-cut ingredient with, you know, truffles, something that's very elegant, making this beautiful, elegant broth. And um, the grano also was, you know, uh, Joe Sasso was like, hey, you know, we, we have this, like, it was uh, this flower he had, he brought. And he was like, we can wow. use this flower, it's really nice. And uh, so, you know, we started messing with the dough a little bit, and, like, <laughs> we put it together, and it was so just beautiful. It was so gorgeous. What gave and, it the uh, color? That was the Grano Arso flower. So the Grano okay. Arso flower is, um, it, it, you know, they, it's basically what they do. When they pick all the wheat, they go through, and they burn the wheat fields at the end. And it used to be, like, a very peasant thing. Like, they would, um, like, if you worked in the wheat field, they would let you take home that burnt, the, the burnt wheat flour. Like, that's what they would make for themselves, you know what I mean? Because they wouldn't have enough money to buy the regular milk flour. But they were like, hey, you can take home the burnt wheat, and you guys can make flour out of that. Like, that's what you can have. Um, but it gives it a really cool, um, you know, texture to it. So we did only some of that. It wasn't all of that. That's why it wasn't, like, black. That's why it was, like, that greenish, blackish, grayish color. Um, so it was mixed with a double O of the eggs and all of that. And, you know, we decided like this wasn't a huge dinner. Let's take our time. Let's like really make, you know, slow hand roll these out, make beautiful tortellinis completely by hand. And, um, it's a simple dish. Like really, if you think about it, it's pasta and broth. So it was so much about, you know, everything that went into it, every idea that went into it and like. For me, that's like my favorite thing in cooking. It's like when you present something that's that simple, it's like everybody knows noodles and broth. Everybody's had soup. So it's like this looks like soup, but like you look at the noodles in it, you're like, oh, my God, you know, these look like river rocks. And, you know, it's filled with a super unctuous, you know, pig head, truffle, apples, fennel. And then you hit it with this just monster umami brodo. It's just it's really fun. Uh. Joe, you mentioned soup. Everyone knows soup, but there's this contentious argument over on the internet in the NBA world. Is cereal a soup? Is cereal a soup? Uh, no, cereal's not a soup. And, and, and I feel like, yeah, I don't think cereal's a soup. Why would Zach, a soup? Zach says there's Zach Harper, a friend of the of the program at talk hoops on, on Twitter, he contends that it's a liquid with chunky pieces in it. What's the difference? And I'm like, well, that's a, it's, it's a cold liquid and usually soups are warm. Yeah, so, so is vomit. That doesn't make it a soup. <laughs> right. Joe, Joe, basketball Twitter is a very strange place and I don't visit it very often. And, and so I, I don't recommend you do either. And then there's the whole thing that is Chicago deep dish actually pie. Oh, that's a more interesting one. Chicago oh, deep dish is actually, here we go. That's, you know, Chicago deep dish is actually pie. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, I feel like deep dish is deep dish. It's a thing. It's its own entity um, where, you know, but that's also the other thing. It's like Chicago deep dish is a, is a type of Chicago style pizza. But like, you know, true Chicago style pizza is like thin tavern style, small squares. Right. Okay. So you have to educate me on that because I'm, I don't get to Chicago enough. So I'm, uh, I'm assuming just a giant dot, just a, a, a whole bin full of cheese and then some just straight tomato on top. Is that not, I mean, Giordano's Giordano's, is that how you pronounce it? 
Oh, Giordano. See, like Giordano, <laughs> this is the other problem. When people come to Chicago, and they're like, right. oh, yeah, I'm going to come to Chicago and I'm going to have pizza, right? But, like, everyone stays in the loop. But all the, the best pizza in Chicago is all on the south side. But when you come to Chicago, you're not like, well, let's take a tour of the south side. No one does that. But you should because that's where all the good pizza is. I go to the south side to do six because I enjoy that food. That was my last trip well, to the south good. side. That's south side. Yeah, I, I enjoy that meal. Um, I want to talk about Adrian for a little bit because I developed a real chef crush on Adrian um, over the course of the She's season. Awesome. And I love her plates. And, I, and, and, you know, one of the harder things I think about watching Top Chef is the one criticism I have as it is a show is at the end of the day, you can't really participate. Like if, if I watch Project Runway, right. I can look at the outfits, but can I really taste the food? Do I? Um, so right. you're always a little bit out. But I, I just absolutely loved her arc over the course of the season. Um, she kind of and she she cooks the way I, I love to eat. Uh, I'm from the South, mm-hmm. so I have but I, I'm not somebody who wants to live in Southern food, but I want nods to it. I, I, I want a, a tip of the hat to it. And um, she uh, you guys also seem to have just like a, a, a wonderful relationship uh, in mutual respect. I just kind of want to we're trying to get her on here um, and uh, we will keep trying. But have we, uh, have I, we done the two person on their cell phone move? Jade, I mean uh, Kevin. Uh, I, I do not know. I am I am the idiot in this equation on, okay. on matters of technology, as you know. Um, you're you're the younger, more techy, savvy guy. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, but I, I just I'm. She says she's standing by, and her fiance has actually tried did a test call, and it worked. So I feel bad. Hey, wait a minute. Did that huh? just work? Yeah, it worked. Got her in. Genius. Oh. I was so down what? Oh yeah, because we were. Um, I, I was trying on Skype, but we have a theory that it only allows one person, um, uh, per person or or whatever. Adrian, Adrian, this, this is a wonderful. We're joined now by <laughs> Top Chef finale, uh, runner-up Adrian Cheatham, and this is a real thrill. We have both Joe and Adrian on the show. We were just asking. I was explaining my sort of chef crush on you, and just how much I so admire your plates and your technique and your process. You're a very process oriented person. And as an INTJ, as a process obsessy, um, it is fun watching you work with your book because I is like, that is my, that is my spirit chef right there. Like she has a process. I love it. Thank you. So I, I just, there's so much about your food. I'm, I'm sort of a fanboy. Uh, uh, tell us about the experience. I mean, because I, I, I just so loved your arc. Oh, I can't recall a chef who just kind of, like, you know, came into his or her own more over the course of a season than you have. Well, that's awesome. I mean, and let me just say that I know Tom drafted me early in the season, and I yep, love you, that's Tom, right, Adrian. That. That's right. I appreciate yep. it, but I am Team Kevin. I love you, Kevin. Oh! <laughs> Man, harsh. <laughs> I'm joking. No, you guys are awesome, though. Um, but it was weird. You know, you come in and you think that you're, you're like, oh, you know, it's a kitchen. It's food. Like, I get it. Trust me. You know, I've been cooking for about 14, 15 years. Like, I know how to cook food. But then you get there and you feel like you're starting all over. Like, you don't know exactly what to execute. And, it's you know, some chefs come in knowing exactly what they're going to cook. Foxy has worked in several different cuisines but she was owning the Pakistani food and executing that beautifully. You know, Tyler, Chris, Joe, Joe, Tanya, you know, all these people are executing the food that they've been doing regularly. 
Whereas I left my last restaurant. I had been out of restaurants for a few months. So I hadn't really tested my food because I hadn't opened my own restaurant or my pop-up series hadn't started. So it was just kind of lack of lack of confidence because like you said, I'm a process person. So if I haven't made it as part of my process, I'm not sure that I can execute it the way I want to. I, I talked about this earlier with Kevin, the, the phone call that you had with Eric repair, where you got some confidence, not just a tip on how to make that, uh, was it a Thule? What was that? The twill, a twill, right? Yeah. You not only got your, your tip on how to execute that, um, expertly from, uh, one of your mentors there, but also you must've gotten some extra, just a kick in the pants, uh, more confidence from hearing from him. And we hear it in the NBA where, you know, these guys are, are the best five players in the world and they still go through confidence issues. Um, how important is confidence in this competition when you're facing someone like Joe Sasto, Joe Flam, Bruce, Fati, et cetera? I mean, confidence in cooking is, you know, it's, it's like you're performing. If you don't have confidence, you're not focused. You can't like really see clearly what you need to do. You start second guessing things, you start changing things. And then you, you know, like you start adding things to dishes that have no place on the dish. So it's confidence like is, yeah. You know, you just, you lose focus. You get distracted because you're worried instead of just like, this is great. I got this. Um, I want to ask you about the spoon bread because uh, again, I mean, the, the only downside of watching Top Chef is you can't actually actively participate in the tasting, <laughs> but spoon bread with uni, which is the single greatest edible substance in the world. I, that is my general. <laughs> uni. Yeah. Um, I love what you've been doing with Dashi. And in fact, I picked up kelp in Bonito recently to kind of, plunge into the hopefully I can start making dashi. You've actually inspired that, by the way. Um, but can you just oh, walk, us, you. walk us through the dish? Because it was, I mean, I, I think it is now, it will now join the pantheon of great <laughs> Top Chef dishes. I think Padma insisted you put it on a menu immediately that night. Um, uh, Tom looked up the spelling of twill. So uh, we, we're, we're, we're just, we're it all about the like dish. Tuil. No, it doesn't. But yeah. um, from conception <laughs> to execution, like where did this dish come from? A doily. So I have originally done the dish with um, a sweet potato roasty underneath. So you get a little bit of crispiness from the outside edges of the shredded sweet potato and it gets tossed with a little bit of rice starch um, or rice flour. But um you know, just eating at different restaurants. I think one of them, I think it was a restaurant out in LA that I went to. And, you know, it's, it's a classic thing that you see with uni on scrambled eggs on a crostini. Mm -hmm. mm. And, you know, I was sitting there and I was, I was thinking about that dish that I've traditionally tested with a sweet potato roasty. And I was like, you know what? You know, tie it back into another staple that people are familiar with, which is the scrambled eggs. What's similar to scrambled eggs in terms of texture and, you know, the richness of it that also kind of has a Southern feel. And to me, it was obvious that spoon bread would be the best substitute for the scrambled eggs in that dish. So the, uh, the uni goes on top of there. There was a little ponzu vinaigrette just to give it a little flavor. Um, the buttermilk dashi. And now, Kevin, I have to be honest. I did cheat a little bit with oh. the dashi. 
So it's not a traditional dashi with just the kombu and bonito. Oh, I'm not strict. I'm, also- I'm for an expansive definition of food. I, I think, <laughs> okay. No, no. Just, I mean, that's fine. I don't expect help in it every. It's a little life food. Yes. Did you expect this, Kevin, well, that, that Adrian would come on your sh- your podcast and apologize to you on her most amazing dish? Ama- uh, imagine yes. that. That's amazing. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm for expansive. Yeah, liber- I'm for a liberal interpre- interpretation of the Constitution. <laughs> well, one thing I, I learned on Top Chef is if you call it something, it better freaking be that. Oh, yeah, that's so, right. <laughs> um, that is a cardinal sin. So I had to do full disclosure. But um, I use a little bit of salad and garlic. And then sweat that, add a little water, build the dashi on top of that. But then I also use a little bit of hondashi, which you can find in like most Korean and Chinese grocery stores and Japanese also. It's it's like a granules. It's like an instant dashi. Gotcha. So I use a couple pinches of that just to up the flavor. Yeah. Um, it's a question for each of you. Uh, if you could go back to the finale, change one thing, whether it's swapping out a dish or just a, a, a different execution, or uh, you can't just say, "Oh, I, I, I should have," uh, you know, I, it can't just be hey, taking the, the ribeye off, right? Not but, rested but it. If is. you could go back, play Monday morning quarterback, one adjustment you'd make to make the meal more perfect, uh, what is it? I got to hear what Joe has to say about this because he won. So, you <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, the ribeye, I don't know why I'm sort of asking how you question, but I would have just roasted the rack whole and, like, sliced it down so that you got a piece of the deco, you got a piece of everything. It went with, like, a long leg slice slice on it. It would have been beautiful on the plate. I don't know why I didn't do it that way. Um, when I took ribeye to, like, three videos like that before, that's how I usually do it. I don't know why I didn't do it. Uh, and I just, like, kicking myself for that one the whole time it was just like i just made like a bad choice on like how to how to butcher that piece of meat it looks beautiful i mean the the rondo like the small piece that you did um mm-hmm. it looks great it's cute as shit it was just like you know it ate a little cup of dry it's just, you know it's like it's like sometimes you know like you know i just love that cute shit adrian you know how I, yeah you know like tyler said cook it till it's cute yeah right oh i like that <laughs> Uh, all right, Adrian, what's your uh, Monday morning quarterback? Okay, do I only get one? Are you serious? Uh, <laughs> yeah, pick your favorite. I pick, would pick, have. Yeah. Well, I probably would not have braised. You know, certain things at altitude that require, like, I had to pressure cook the black eyed peas for like three and a half hours. And that's part of the reason I had to mash some of them up was to get them to finish cooking because the starch wasn't completely tender. Um, and I was like, Jesus, I mean, how long can you cook black eyed peas before they soften? And we had soaked them overnight. So I probably would have either not braised the meat at all and done a seared steak or left it in one piece instead of slicing it. Because at altitude, when you slice things, it dries out. Even Paul Liebrand said that when we were talking about baking bread at altitude. He said, mm-hmm. "Keep it covered with a towel because it'll just dry out as soon as you slice it." Yeah, and you know what the weird thing is? Like that's not something anybody ever talks about though with the meat. Is like I knew that because I did the braised pork a couple challenges before, but it's mm-hmm. like it was weird. Like you know, they even somebody commented like they thought my ribeye was a little over rested, but it was really like in the normal time we would cook. 
it'd be totally underrested. Yeah. Um, but Altitude like, is such a traitor. Yeah, the, like how it's right, you know, because we're used to cooking in, you know, New York and Chicago. It's it's so moist. Like, usually you're betting in moisture. You know, you're frying off radish or whatever. You're like, shit, I hope they stay crispy. Whereas the person mm-hmm. there, it was like, you could fry something and be crispy for three weeks. Yeah. You could spritz it with water and it would still be crispy. Right. And so it just really... That was one of those things you never hear about an altitude, uh, at altitude cooking. At least I had. I don't know if you ever heard about that idea. No, I had never. I had heard about different cooking times, but never about how much things dry out. And, you know, I was just so set on the menu that I should have adapted that for the altitude. So it just it wasn't necessarily the smartest decision, given our surroundings. What was the most nervous nervous you were on the show? Was it the first episode when you're stepping up and you're just you, you just see Padma for the first time? Was it before you guys picked the knives right before the the finale, like when you when you decided first choice or second choice for picks on uh, on the contestants? Because when I watched that episode last night, it looked like Adrian, you were about to barf. It looked like you looked were ready to throw up because it was just so much tension at that point because you're just out there with Joe and, and Padma and you have to draw knives. Or was it right before they announced who was the winner? Where was the most nerve wracking where you're just crawling out of your skin on TV? Okay, for me, that was probably the gondola ride. You're afraid of heights. so... Oh my God. Yes. And I didn't realize how afraid of heights I was until we got up in that gondola and I'm like dangling over open air and rocky mountain terrain. I was like, Oh, sweet baby Jesus save me. <laughs> I wasn't being overly nice about it either. <laughs> no. Joe, what no, about you? Joe what definitely was... had a good time messing with me. What about you, Joe? I think the scariest moment of the season was, um, in the first elimination challenge, you know, we got the one day to prep. And then that night before the actual challenge, that was the worst. That was like, just absolutely through the ceiling. You're like, oh my God, like this is, like, what if I go home tomorrow? What if I go home tomorrow? Like, yeah, I couldn't sleep. I was like, like 4.30 in the morning. Just laid in a bunk bed in a room with you know, two guys, Bruce and Tyler, who I just met. And that was the first night you're there and you're like, please don't be the first one. And you don't even know, you don't even be even built up your confidence at that point. Right. You don't know what it's going to be. You don't know what the budget you are. And it's like, you know, and it, it, there was a clip that it showed a comic grammar walking through the kitchen and I was doing uh, a tartare on a chip. And I was like, oh, this is a really good idea. This is really clever. I made a lamp tartare. It's delicious. And then it turns out, you know, Claudette was doing one and Sasha was doing one. And they came over and they were like, oh, so how do you feel about being, you know, you're one of the three tartars on a chip? And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. Uh, like, like, a question for each of you. Biggest restaurant pet peeve. I, I feel like there's this culture of complaint about restaurants right now. Um, they've never been better and nobody's happy. But, uh, but, but something you could do without when you went into a restaurant, when you go into a restaurant. I'll let you go first, Adrian. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of tough. I mean, 
I, I'm not a big critic of restaurants when I go to them. I kind of just want to enjoy myself and enjoy the experience that they have to offer. Right. The only time, like, I'll really get, like, pissed or complain or, you know, even notice a flaw in service um, is normally, like, when people just take it so seriously. And they, you know, they, I think customer service is kind of a lost art. And most restaurants guard against that very well. And they train their front of house to make sure that guests get the best experience possible. Because you can have great food, but if your front of house doesn't match it, it'll kill the experience for the guests. So I guess I just really, you know, I get upset if if they kind of like give you that go fuck yourself attitude. You know, that, that kind of pisses me off. Because I'm like, I'm here to have a good time. I'm not here to kiss your ass. All right. Yeah, I think, and you know, usually for me, it's, it's like service-related things. I find there's more, you know, like, it's, it's like, you know, when you see something, and it, for me, the biggest thing is, like, when restaurants start, like, doing closing when you're still there, that's, like, my biggest thing. <laughs> like, I went to a restaurant the other night, it was, like, two hours before they closed. And we were sitting at the bar, and the bartender started, like, shutting everything down. It was like, no. But like, I just want to be like, stop, stop it, stop it. He put a glass rack on the bar next to you. He's like wiping down. He's taking his apron off. I was like, oh my god! Like it was like took every. I was like, just give me my check before I like just face like you know absolutely start blowing this guy up, like losing my life. I am. I'm I'm always like I've become a guy who eats at six thirty, so that just never happens to me anymore. I'm like I'm like eighty one years old, so um, I can't remember the last time I actually (laughs) closed a place down, Uh, but um. But yeah, no, I, I I'm with you. I, I I find the restaurant going experience to be lovely. My mine is kind of, and again, I'm 81 years old. Like I've been to some restaurants with really loud music lately, and it's like I come to talk. Oh, yeah. I want to visit. I want to talk. You I are just, 81 years old. I am 81. <laughs> I am like I yes. I eat only strictly in the in the municipality of Naples, Florida. I don't even go anywhere else anymore. Yeah. I just I, <laughs> it's too cold in here. It's why is the music yeah. so loud? <laughs> do you do you have a regular table at the on garden down there with my uncle Joe Catchy? Exactly. I am I am getting the early bird special. It is uh at, at five thirty I'm lined up behind outside the schooner or somewhere. <laughs> uh we, we discussed it earlier today. Um do you think there's recency bias with judges where if Adrian's dish, her opening dish was maybe third or fourth, things would have changed? Adrian, I know you're probably gonna cop out answer here and says, no, there's no recency bias. I lost fair and square, but does the order of dishes matter in your opinion? Both of you. Huh? Um, well, that's, I don't know. I couldn't have done that course. I don't know. It's so light that I think, think if they would have liked that course as much though, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, like, I but, so. but it wasn't no. front of my, I guess it would if it was the fourth dish, and I know you can't present it as the fourth dish, but is there any part of you, Adrian, that just wishes that that would have been front of mind when they're going to the judges table is like, man, that first dish, they had it like 20 minutes ago and they've had three, you know, seven dishes after that. Do you feel like maybe if that came in as the last dish, I know you couldn't have done it as a dessert, but, um, that (laughs) you came out hot. No, I think it set the bar for my courses high. And I think that instead of if that were fresher in their minds, I think I should have made my last two courses 
more memorable. Like it should have been, there should have been some other thing to just bring them up to the same level as that first course. Yeah, Joe, your, your river rocks. I mean, that was, that was a knockout punch at that point for me. It was just like, man, that is an amazing dish. And I, I just, I felt like, um, there was just such a sliver there the margin between you two and you could feel it at the judges table, how close it was at the end. And really there weren't any mistakes usually at the, at that stage, you know, maybe there's like a fatal flaw, but really it was just splitting hairs. Was there, there, was there a moment for either of you when you were like, was it, was it a seesaw in your head of, Oh, he's going to win it or she's going to win it. No, obviously wait, maybe I got this. Like, was there a, a seesaw of emotions or was it more so, you know what? I have confidence in my cooking and I think I got this the whole way. Were you shaking at any point? You know, honestly, like the whole time, like I was so overwhelmed with just the idea that I was there and I was cooking <laughs> it because I was like gone and I was off and it was like, it just like, it was so weird, like standing at that table, like the whole time I was just like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm here. Like the thought in my mind of like, like, oh, I'm going to win was like not a thought. It was just like me just reacting to like the fact that I was there. It was like the weird thing for me. I was like, I don't know what happened, but it was, you know, I felt really good about the dinner we cooked. I had had a lot of fun, but I had also seen Adrian's food. And, you know, usually you don't get to see the other people's food as much, but to sort of present these side by side and, you know, listening to the feedback, it was like, you know, I felt it could have been, it could have been a coin flip easy. Uh, so it was, you know, it was really hard to tell. I don't know. I felt after the third course, because I felt like we were one in one. I felt like my first course, yeah, you definitely had a vote the there. Course. I think your second course had the vote there. And then when it got to the entree, I think, you know, the flaws in either braising the meat or slicing the braised meat, mm-hmm. um, you know, I could tell that, you know, that it was probably you edged me out on the third and then it would come down to dessert, which we both had names that they didn't like, like names that weren't appropriate. He's got to work on your branding. Like, well, right. <laughs> Clearly I don't uh, write, you know, menus that frequently. Um, but I've well, actually done clearly that. Clearly I thing. wasn't planning on fucking Nancy Silverton showing up. <laughs> right. like, oh, it's Oh, Nina, who holds up? Oh, that's no. Nancy Silverton? Yeah, she'll go. Yeah. yeah, she was looking like, uh, word up. <laughs> yeah, I was like, don't hit me. That's funny. I love her food. Last question for each yeah. of you. 15 years from now, I mean, what, what's your trajectory? What, what, where do you want to be? Uh, I definitely want to have one or a couple small restaurants. Um, but I definitely want to do some work outside of the kitchen as well. Be it you know, in media, I went to journalism school. So I, you know, I love writing. I love uh, reading and, you know, kind of putting all these things together. I've worked on a few cookbooks. Um, So I really do like that side of it as well. I've been so much in the kitchen that I do want to see what else is out there. And I don't know, my mom was front of the house. So, you know, I love hosting and interacting with people and just haven't had as much of an opportunity to do that being in the kitchen for so long. So I'm interested in what's in the future. Yeah. Joe, you want like 17 restaurants, like the one in the four seasons, uh, like Dubai, or do you want like one 
kind of hub? Do you want to, I mean, what do you want to be doing? Wants to be a GM of the Blackhawks. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a South Center Summer Lafax fan, and they're so bad recently. I'm thinking maybe if I just show up, they'll let me uh, GM the team. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, I just, yeah, you know, I want a Chicago restaurant. I want to have a base here, and then I want to open, you know, myself up to opportunities, building restaurants and places I want to be, you know, places where at least I know people or places I want to, that I'd like to be a lot. You know, my, my best friend lives in Detroit, so it's like, you know, I'd love to, you know, maybe do something in Detroit one day. So it's like I have more of a reason to spend, you know, more of my time there, but make decisions that kind of create a really great quality of life for me, but still create, you know, restaurants that I want to create and, you know, build, you know, a big part of what I want to do is just kind of the, the educational piece of becoming a cook right now is really weird. Culinary school is super, super expensive, and you graduate and make eleven dollars an hour. And I think that has to that has to change. And I hope you know what I could do with I create restaurants and create a restaurant group culture is be part of like helping that change and you know reinstituting more of kind of like building an apprenticeship program that you know kind of changes that facade. Take it back the way it used to be. Right. This was really fun. Uh, this is a total treat, a beautiful topper to a really fun season for Tom and me. Uh, this has been a blast. And uh, thank you all for making time on a Friday. Well, well, thanks thank for you guys. having us. Congratulations you on your uh, con- Yes, congratulations to you both. And um, if we continue this podcast in the off season, please, please keep your lines open. We'd love to talk to you guys soon. Yeah, and uh, oh, yeah. Joe, I'm scheduled to be in Chicago, I think, for the draft combine in, in Mar- May. So uh, you might uh, you might hear from me because uh, I, I. Oh I, yeah, I, let me know when. I, I will certainly do. Let me that. know when you're coming. Bye. Yeah. And yeah. Joe, I didn't get a chance to say it because obviously we were both busy yesterday. But congratulations, I'm Thanks. really happy for you. Congratulations. You know I love you, homie. I know you love me. Thank you. I wow, it's getting it. dusty in here, Kevin. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and uh, thank you to the listeners. And we love you too, Tom and Kevin. Yes. Oh, thank you. We much yeah, appreciate it. Great podcast, guys. Super fun. I don't know what I'm going to listen to, uh, you know, next month. Hey, right. season 16 will be here before you know it. So uh, we will be Shout back. out to Kentucky. Yeehaw! Yes. There you go. Uh, right uh, Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Have a great rest of your weekend and congratulations again to you both. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Uh, Tom, let's do some sign offs. Just kind of thank Jade for the season. Yes. Uh, yes. Tom, it's been a pleasure. Season 16, Kentucky will be here before we know it. I know. I uh, I can't believe it went by so fast. That's so cliche to say, but uh, I felt like we were just starting this podcast and figuring out with all our notes and our draft. And I am amazed. I think of anything that I've learned this season in doing this podcast with you, Kevin, how bad we are at drafting or predictive analytics or any sort of prediction. It's so hard. It is the sing the signal and the noise, baby. It is, yeah. it is, it is difficult stuff. I want to thank our producer, Jade Hoy, who's been tremendous all season long and has put up with my uh, technical deficiencies and, and idiocy and has brought you this show without him. It doesn't exist. Tom, I will see you on the eve of Top Chef 16, Kentucky. Looking very much forward to that. 
Yeah, I can't wait. And uh, thanks to all the listeners and our guests. Um, stay tuned. We might have something cooking. You like that pun? Into the future. And uh, again, Kevin, it has been such a pleasure. I can't believe we pulled this off. This has been such a joy in my life. And uh, I can't wait to eat with you soon. Indeed. All right. All right. Let's send this off, Kevin. Kevin.